1 Corinthians. Um, we're, we're going to chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians as we do tonight's study. Wasn't going to do this. I wasn't headed this direction, but as I was doing some different Bible study and talking about the Holy, who uh, who needs notes? A couple, three or four, of you had raised your hand. They'll move to the room and get it to you. Um, there's a. I think you would say this is a truism that in our culture there's a tendency towards elitism. Yes, where some a superiority, some who in the academia field may feel superior to those of us who don't have as many degrees. That could happen in business. Somebody who is you know, more successful in business looks down on those of us who, you know, we've never started a business. That can happen in sports. That can happen in Hollywood. Is there an elitism in Hollywood that whoever the, whoever the celebrity is, they're the expert on everything? Okay, we see that. There can also be an elitism that happens in local churches. Um, sometimes, and probably more often than not, it comes from the pulpit. It's an attitude that the clergy is better than anybody else in the church, that we understand more scripture. Um, it happened when we got born again. I remember when we got saved in 73 that uh, my brother was going to his in-laws trying to share the gospel with them and try to talk with them. They became violently um, uh, angry over the idea of who gives you the right to tell us that we're sinners and we're going to hell. Everybody's going to go to heaven concept. And so then after they calmed down, they said, this one thing we want you to do, we want you to go and talk to our preacher. And so they made an appointment, went and talked to the preacher, who was a priest in, in uh, the church. And as soon as my brother started sitting down and talking with him and quoting scripture, the preacher stopped him and immediately said, you have no right to quote the Bible to me. In fact, you have no right to even have that Bible in your personal possession. The only ones who can interpret the Bible are those of us who are ordained. And we've been given special privileges, and we understand that you can't, you won't, you shouldn't. And it's dangerous for you to have a Bible. Well, that just cinched in my brother's mind. I am out of this church. Absolutely positive. But there's elitism. And that's not just in some of those churches that, um, that are denominational or liturgical. There can be elitism that can happen even in our type of circles, in Bible-believing churches. I, I get really riled up with certain things that happen. Funerals get me really riled up when I'm sitting in a funeral and they don't preach the gospel. That just irritates me because it's such, a, such an opportune time to share the gospel. I get riled up when I hear preachers defend themselves for something or whatever. It might, it might be what they're saying in defense is, is right. But when they use the term, touch not the Lord's anointed, that ticks me off. That gets me mad. Where in the scriptures do we read that, that preachers are anointed better and bigger than the rest of you? It just, that's just so anti-scriptural. But it lends to an idea that certain people are the haves and the others are the have-nots. Now, we've talked about an area of discussion, an area of church practice, that there is that mentality that comes like we're the haves and so-and-so is the have-nots. And that comes with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? That those who promote the gifts, those who acknowledge and say that those gifts are very functional, their idea is that unless we have the same gift they have, we're the have-nots, they are the haves. And so you see this, you, you want to you see it in real play, watch TBN Network. And you'll have these preachers talk about that they're anointed, they have something special, and as a result, they are on the inside no with God. And the rest of us are on the outside that they have this special, this special you know, way to get to the Lord, that, that you know, if only the rest of you could have it. 
And in the scriptures, that's just so anti-Bible. Now, Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians where he, did, he takes three chapters and talks about that whole idea of people abusing the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, misunderstanding the gifts, and saying that these gifts make me of a special elite class. And he, and he goes through and he points out how that's not true. In fact, the biggest core of what he says in 1 Corinthians 14 is that that one gift tongues is inferior to another gift. Remember what it was? What was the more important gift for the church service? It was prophesying. It was prophesying, which is declaration of God's word. Declaring God's word, whether it be by foretelling or forthtelling. And he says that was much better than this tongue speaking, this phenomenal, this sensational, this miraculous and supernatural. Declaring the word of God was much more important. And so after he's dealt with that, he's got, got calmed down. But what strikes me in 1 Corinthians, what was going through my mind the last couple of days is that's not the first time that he has to clarify something about the Holy Spirit to that church. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he has to clarify and sets the foundation, actually, for everything in the book talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let, let's set up the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What he's doing is he's dealing with a group of people who are in Corinth. Corinth is located in Greece. Nothing profound, nothing new, you understand that. But the Greek people of that day, they put a high value on education and philosophy. And there's nothing wrong with education and philosophy. But they put this high value that they were trained and more knowledgeable than anybody else. And so there was the superiority that came through when he was on Mars Hill preaching in Athens, that you, if you believe something you know, mystical or magical or supernatural, you're a bumpkin. You should just believe our philosophy and our educational system and our academia and so Paul is writing about that, and he makes some comments about the wisdom of the world and the foolishness of the gospel. Look at down in chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, what? It's foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the what? It's the power of God. We understand that. The world mocks Christianity. The world makes the gospel look down, or they look down upon the gospel. He says, fine, they think it's foolishness, but it's power. Jump down a little bit further in that same text. Uh, to me, this is one of my favorite passages because um, this is the passage God used to get me into ministry. For you see your calling, verse 26, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen what? The foolish things of the world to do what? to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Now, he's not saying we should be dumb, that we should be ignorant, and we should be proud that we aren't educated. He's not saying that. But he's saying that those who elevate this, um, this uh, idea of philosophy and intelligentsia above the word of God, they're wrong. And so he's combating that whole issue, and it's created this controversy that is in this church even, that there are people who are saying, well, I don't know, I believe the Bible, but what about all those theories? And by the way, does this sound like this could happen today in churches? What about the evolution and the science and all those studies? Surely they have some merit. And there's, there's merit in studying science. But where it conflicts with Scripture, what's the authority? 
It's got to be scripture. It's got to be scripture. And so um, he's dealing with people who are struggling with that. And so Paul is defending the greatness of the word of God and the revelation that was given. So we're going to pick up in when he's talking about where real wisdom is. Real wisdom is truth. Real wisdom is founding God. And basically what he's going to be saying is down in chapter 2, talking about how God has revealed what is real, what is, what is the absolute truth that we need to hold to. I'm going to jump down in verse 6 of chapter 2. Howbeit we speak wisdom among you, among them that are perfect or maturing, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of who? We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by what? His spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual, he judges, all, discerns all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? Nobody. But we have the mind of Christ. Just reading through, here's several thoughts I wanted to share briefly that are very, to me, very profound, very biblical, very profound, and they help us to understand the Holy Spirit. Number one is this, that's in this text, real wisdom is found in God. That's where real wisdom is. Truth is, is found in the Lord. Thy word is truth, he says. And Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the what? The truth. Okay, and so we know that real wisdom is found in God, and it's not as he describes it down in verse 6, it's not, it's not all intertwined with the wisdom of this world. Now, are there good things that we learn from the sciences of the world, the philosophies of the world? Absolutely. Are there some good financial tidbits that we can get? Absolutely. Are there good mechanical things that we can learn? And that, that aren't described in Scripture. Absolutely. We're not denying that. We're not denying that astrology, I'm sorry, astronomy or chemistry, we're not saying those things are bad. Those are good. We're not saying medicine is bad. We're saying that those things are profitable, but when he said where real wisdom is, where the wisdom of how to, how to live a life, where the wisdom of how to really know eternal things, he says that's found in the Lord. And we're speaking, he says, I'm telling you the things of God to those of you who are perfect, that is you are maturing in your life, yet not the wisdom of this world. I'm not following that. I'm not going by what the princes are saying. By, by the way, don't we think government officials are supposed to be the experts? Yes, no? Okay, we want experts put in charge of the labor, Department of Labor or HUD or whatever. And so he's saying, okay, those in authority, we often think are, are really, they got a handle on things. He says, actually they don't. Those things, they come to naught or they pass away. And then he goes further, but we're speaking the wisdom of God. We're speaking of those things that are talking, that were in a mystery. That is, they were hidden from mankind's view, but God revealed them. The things that tell us about God's sovereignty. Yes, we see it in creation. Yes, we have a moral code within us called conscience. But really, to get to know God, we couldn't do that. 
we wouldn't know all about his holiness, all about his compassion, all about the different spirits of God. The, the, we wouldn't know about his eternality. We wouldn't understand that without him revealing things like that. We wouldn't understand his will, his ways without him revealing that. And he says, okay, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, the things which God has kept back from some, but look what he says. God ordained before the world unto our glory. That makes, gives me a second thought here. That what it is, is God determined years ago to share his wisdom with us who are born again. Before, he says, before the world began, God had a plan. And this plan was to help you and I to understand what is expected of us, what his will is, how he's going to operate. Even, even the things that sometimes we don't understand. Here, here's something God has withheld from natural man, but you understand. All things work together for for good. Does the world understand that? No. Their response is, why does, a bad, why does a good God allow bad things to happen? And they don't understand God in that sense. And he's saying, well, God has revealed this to us. You know what's an interesting phrase at the end of verse 7? Did you catch it when we read it? He has revealed these things or ordained these things for us to know, this mystery, this important truth, unto whose glory? That's not a mistake in the English. Our glory, what in the world is he talking about? Isn't God supposed to get all the glory? But this text is saying that the, he's revealed this thing for our benefit, for our glory. What's that mean? There's two possibilities. He is saying that we have been, God has revealed to us these, these important truths so that we can experience glorification. That glory of resurrection and being reunited with him, that's a possibility. The other possibility is that so that the glory is the idea that we get commended. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Where we would be commended, we would be applauded. We wouldn't be able to do that. We wouldn't have that assurance that we, we could be commended by God unless we knew what God was going to be looking for. We have to have a road map or we have to have directions. What is God going to examine in my life? What does God want out of my life? Well, he's given us his revealed wisdom, his revealed word, how we should live, how we should act, how we re should respond so that we are benefited that one day we will get commended or, at, or the other idea is that we get born again and we get into heaven. And so he goes on, he says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would have not have crucified Christ, which leads me to a third thought, that is, real wisdom is not attained by human effort or devices. He, he's already mentioned that in verse 6. Now he repeats it again. He says that no matter what they would do, so-called smart people, the princes, he says, they're not so smart. They killed Christ, their only hope. He goes on, he's making this comment then in verse 9 where he quotes from Isaiah, two passages in Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 4 and 65, 17 that he quotes and he says, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those that love him. His point is that natural man cannot understand the things of God. They just don't accept it. You and I understand this because without the wooing of the Holy Spirit, without the working of the Holy Spirit, it was a battle for you and I to, to accept the idea that we are sinners and as such, we deserve to go to hell. That's a battle. That was tough for us. But the God has revealed those things. He's helped us to understand. And so he goes on makes these other comments that are very important. And we'll make the statement, the fourth statement in here, that is God did this sharing of his wisdom via the Holy Spirit. Look where he develops this thought. But God hath revealed them unto us. Okay, not just Paul, 
but all the people. God hath revealed his mysteries, his wisdom, his truths unto us by his spirit. And he's going to talk about this Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That he goes on and he says, the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now what he's talked about, here's what we've got going in this passage. If you're talking theologically, he's talking about revelation, revealing God, revealing God's person, his will. That it is something that God has, but he has revealed it to people. Now he does that via inspiration of the work of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit via inspiration. That he reveals, he, he unfolded some of that via angels in the past, he unfolded some of that via prophecies in the past, he unfolded some of that in dreams and visions, but they were all the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ministering to people, and he says, yea, the Spirit of God reveals these deep mysteries, these, uh, these phenomenal things, Search, he searches all things, yea, the deep things of God, and then he gives us an illustration that you and I can relate to. For what man knows the things of a man? Now, there's two possible explanations of this first. I think it's the latter. But some will explain to say, well, how do we relate one to another? We can only relate because we're human. We understand how other humans operate. But even then, I think this is your better understanding of this phrase. He says, even then, we can share things. But there are some things in our life that even our spouse doesn't quite get. Now, you understand that part, right? You've been married a long time. And that person is still a mystery at times. They didn't respond the way you thought, or they are thinking not the way you would think they would think. And he says, well, hey, wait a minute, this is the way we are. No man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man which is in him. Who understands you best besides the Lord? It's you. It's the person, the spirit within you that understands. Who knows, by the way, let me give you the negative illustration. Who knows the, the mess of our sinfulness better than that, that I don't want anybody to know about, right? There are things in all of our, we, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only one here, that there are things that it's like, oh man, I hope those thoughts never come across my lips. I hope nobody ever knows that that, that passing fleeting thought came into my mind. You know, I've had, I had a friend of mine uh, where uh, she was working in the emergency room and she said, or operating room, she said she was in the operating room and they were doing surgery on a patient. This patient was her mentor in the faith. And she said, this sweet, godly, godly, godly little old lady, when they were doing the surgery, she opened her mouth and started talking. And she said, the most vile things came out of the mouth of that person when they were under. And she said, I was just flabbergasted that this hero of mine, but she says, wait a minute, if I were on that table, could some things cut out, come out of my lip? The things that no, we want nobody else to know about. Okay, so maybe I'm not the only one in the room like this. Okay, then he says, okay, who knows that? I do. The real, the one way deep down inside. And he says, wait a minute, by comparison, he says, this is the way it works with God. He goes on, he says, even so the things of God knows no man. But the Spirit of God knows God really intimately because he's God. It's nothing profound, but it's, but it's still there. And he goes, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. And notice he's emphasizing we have received. You and I have the Spirit of God. This Spirit of God who lives within us is doing a ministry. He is revealing God to us that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. 
Then that this God who has prepared these things for those who loved him has determined that we need this information for our glory. He says this was a ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is a profound ministry. If you and I think about it, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is involved in is trying to teach us more and more and more and more and more about the God that we serve. And so he makes that comment, and then he's basically going on, and he's telling us that this work is done by inspiration. He's in that sense. We, which things also we are speaking, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost is teaching. He's giving us guidance. I'm speaking, Paul says. I'm preaching. I'm teaching. I'm sharing what the Holy Spirit is revealing to me about God, and he's helping me to say it in such a way that it's getting across. I'm going to write it down in such a way that it's going to be put down the way God wants it put down so that it is accurate and it is giving us intimate details about God Almighty. But he goes on and he makes another comment about this. He says these truths that are given to us, the things that are, that are speaking, watch what he says down verse 14. Um, uh, yeah, down verse 13. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. And what he's basically telling me in this text, back in verse 13, the idea of the spirit teaching, comparing spiritual things that the natural man can't, is that you and I who have the Holy Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit not only reveals God, he not only inspired this truth to be passed on, but he illumines us. This is his current working, his current ministry. He illuminates or illumines the truth so we can understand it, so that we are able to take spiritual truths, compare spiritual truths, and put it all together. In fact, watch how he goes on and he's talking about how people need to discern. He says up in verse 15, he that is spiritual discerns all things. How? How? By comparing spiritual to spiritual. Who is giving him that ability to compare? Who is giving him that, that insight into, into what is revealed so that he can make accurate judgment? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. What we've got here is the working of the Spirit of God, and I want to head towards the back of the New Testament and build upon this for a little bit because uh, I'm driving towards the truth. I want you to head over to 2 Peter first. Then we're going to 1 John. 2 Peter to just emphasize a little bit more of what we've been talking about. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he's winding down this section of the Scripture, and he's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit once again. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1, down to verse 20. It says, Knowing this first... First, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, there's different ways of, of interpreting this. Some, some churches have interpreted. This is the, remember I was talking about the preacher that told my brother he can't study the Bible? This is the verse he used. He used this verse to say, you can't have private study of the Scripture because no Scripture is of private interpretation. And that's how they applied this passage, that you can't personally study it. It has to be done by the priest, not by an individual. Uh, I totally differ, uh, disagree with that interpretation. I think what he's saying in this text is that we didn't concoct the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't come from you and me putting it together. It wasn't devised by a group of people in 323 A.D. sitting at the Council of Nicaea, and they put it together. That's not true. I know that's what the world says, but that's not, that's not the way it happened. He is saying that no prophecy of the Scriptures of private interpretation, that is, Moses didn't come up with this himself, Paul didn't come up with it himself, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were what? 
Yeah, the word is they were blown along. They were carried along like the wind carrying the boat on the sail, the, through the wind and the sails. He says the Holy Spirit did this work. The Holy Spirit revealed God to us. He then inspired people to write it down, to record it. And then what does he do? He uh, allows us to be able to understand it. Now let's head to 1 John. You'll see that sense of it. In 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John 2, he's going to develop this idea of the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and again, I'm driving towards a point that is critical for us to understand uh, the ministry of the working of the Spirit. We're going down to chapter 2, down in verse 18. Let me set up the context. It is now around 90, 95 A.D., we're, we're 30, 40 years beyond Paul's ministry. And uh, Paul had warned that there's people that are going to be confused about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, John is picking up 30, 35 years later. He's saying, it is true. There are people still in the church that he's ministering to, probably Ephesus, that he's saying that they are confused. They don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit. After all these decades, some are still saying, we've got something special. We are better than you. And he's not talking about the gifts this time, but he's talking about people in a position of leadership that are saying, we've got more understanding and insight into the Bible than you people, because we have more of the Holy Spirit. We have a special anointing of the Holy Spirit, and we've been given this insight. We've been given this special spiritual knowledge, and you need to listen to us. That's what's going on when he's writing this epistle. And so as he's writing, he's going to make these observations. He's going to tell us that in the last days, there's going to be an increased number uh, of attacks on God's word via false teachers. Look where he mentions that in verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. Or we're, we've now entered into the phase of the, uh, the winding of the ages. We're post-resurrection, post-ascension. So now we're in the latter times of the scriptures being inspired and scripturated. And so we are in the segment of eternity. We're in that last phase of it, if you would. He goes on. As you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are what? Many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is... Okay, we're not saying it's a tribulation, but he's saying, oh, you know, you heard that there's going to be a lot more false teachers as time gets, gets going, and it's going to get worse in the very last days. He says, okay, we're already starting to experience that. Those, those false teachers went out from us, but they were not of us. In other words, they used to be in the church. They left the church. And he goes on, he says, if they had been of us, they wouldn't have, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they weren't of the same spiritual makeup. That's why they couldn't stay here. They couldn't remain in the body where the preaching was done because they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. In other words, they couldn't, they couldn't stay here. They left, and it shows that they probably were not even saved. They're not born again because they're denying truth. They're not accepting truth. And it was too uncomfortable for them to sit in the services where truth was being presented. They were, they were, you know, they were, it was rubbing them the wrong way and they didn't like it. You and I would call that what? That made them uncomfortable. It's conviction. Yeah. And it was challenging what it was. And so he says they left. But watch what he does now. Watch, he's going to give us insight into dealing with false teachers. But while he does it, he's telling us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have an, uh, my King James says unction. Did anybody have something different? Anybody with a different translation? I'm in verse 20. Do you all have unction? Anointing? Is it, some of you have anointing? Okay, okay. But we have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Anybody have something different than you know all things? 
you all have, you'll know all things? You know the truth? Okay. Okay. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who's a liar? But he that denies that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Whosoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that, we, that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. And now, little children, and abide in him that when you shall when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming i want to make some observations just like i did before okay number one in the last days there's going to be an increasing number of uh, false teachers okay we've already mentioned that and that means there's going to be a lot more divisions oh by the way does this give us in, uh, any insight why why there are so many churches do you know what people ask how come there's so many different denominations this gives you a little bit of insight why that happened because a lot of them weren't true, and they veered off, okay? And so we go on a little bit further. Number two, we'll make this comment under the correction. We believers are supposed to avoid getting caught up with such error and seduction. How is that? How is that we are, he's writing to these folk and saying, don't get caught up with it. There's three ways. Number one, or A, is this, by holding on to the truths of old. By holding on to the truths of old. Um, there, there's two schools of thought. Schools of thought in lots of areas. Schools of thought, if it's new, it's bad. Okay? New technology. It's, it's okay? New, new ways of doing math. By the way, there are new ways of doing math, right? Therefore, it's, it's bad. New ways of writing. You know that they're not even teaching the kids in a lot of the schools locally how to, how to uh, cursive writing. See, I can't, I don't know what it is. Yeah, you know, they're not even teaching that. And you, some of us respond and go, how are you going to sign a check? You know, if you can't, uh, they don't care. You don't use checks anyway. You just have to punch the buttons. Okay, um, so you know, if it's new, it's bad. And you and I can get caught up with that. The flip side is, if it's old, it's bad, right? Okay, I, I got a car that's 20 years old. It's bad. We've got shoes that are 300 years old. They're bad. Okay, well, that's what our spouse says. Okay, we've got, you know, and so we've got the two schools of thought. And you and I have to be careful because is everything new good? Is everything old bad or good? I mean, seriously. I, I got, you know, you, the good old days. I got a note from one of our missionaries that wrote me this week, and they said, hey, I found in my, in my spam file an email you sent me from 12 years ago. And they said, it was really interesting reading about it and knowing what's happening in your church and ministry since then. And so he sent me a copy of this. And I'm reading it. And I called him and we talked just for a minute. I said, you, you shouldn't have said it. it was, but I wrote, and I must have been having a terrible, terrible week. It was a really bad week. I'm talking about how I'm resigning the church, um, doing this, doing that, and you know all the things that are that are going wrong, and and what needs to be done. And I just am beside myself, and and uh, you know I think we need to do this, but I don't think it'll work. And da 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 da. da. And I concluded. I said, you know, either I'm going to resign and move, or I'm going to join you on the mission field, or something. You know, and that I had another offer, and it was one of these really really low letters. 
And I wrote back to him my first thing, got to call you, when he sent it this week, I wrote back and said, got to call you, because is that the good old days? <laughs> yeah, having those moments. And, uh, and so we think that way. Well, Paul, I'm sorry, John is going to write, and he's going to bring in old and new in this text. And he's warning about the new teachers, but he grabs on to the old truth. Look how he said it in a couple places. He says in verse 21, I have not written unto you because you don't know the truth, but because you already know it. And then he makes that same comment, verse 24, same idea. Let therefore abide in you that which you have heard from when? From the beginning. In other words, here comes these teachers. Here's what he's doing. Here comes these teachers that are saying, I've got a new message from God. I've got a new message. I am one of they're the Gnostics is what they're called. The Gnostics are coming along and they're saying, we've got insights into God that nobody else had. God's revealed them to us, and there's only a few of us that have this. If you become my follower, I'll share some of this deep knowledge with you. And so Paul, John is writing and saying, don't get caught up with this. Don't get caught up with somebody coming along and saying, new, novel, phenomenal, and it's going to catch you and pull you off. If it doesn't agree with the basic truths of Scripture, remember what he said in 1 Corinthians? The, the man has to be discerning. He judges all things. And you compare spiritual with spiritual. Okay? If it doesn't line up with Scripture, what's John saying? Don't have anything to do with it. Don't get drawn away from the old that got you saved. The basic doctrines. And that's where he's warning. He says, hey, if somebody comes along and they're denying Jesus Christ, they're an antichrist. You need Christ to be saved. Don't get caught up with this newism uh, in that regard. And yet at the same time, do we understand that we need to make some adjustments? Are there some things that are, that are not spiritual that we can adjust? Ways we do education? The way we do operations? Aren't you glad there's been advancement? No? Okay. Aren't you glad there's different types of medicines anymore? Okay. Aren't you glad there's different vehicles than there were 50 years ago? Okay. Aren't we glad that there's air conditioning? Not right now, but, you know, and in six months. Okay, so we're glad about new things. Aren't you glad we're not wearing the same clothes we wore in the 70s? <laughs> or hairstyles. Okay, the, the, the changes, some change is really good, but when it comes to changing the truths and the basic foundation of Scripture, we dare not do that. But he gives a second warning here. He says you've got to reject all the claims to this special knowledge, special insights. Reject that. Just those teachers who come along and they say that, don't, don't listen to them. He says in verse 26, those who do that, these things have I written unto you concerning them that do what? So they seduce you. What does that say to you when it's, somebody uses the words that this is seductive, positive or negative? negative. It's got a negative connotation. So. But here's the big key here. This is the area I want to just focus on. We need to be relying upon the Holy Ghost to teach us, the Holy Spirit to teach us. That is the gist of the most of this paragraph. Now, now, mind you, he is writing to a variety of people. Back in chapter 2, if you jump down to verse uh, 12, 13, 14, look at the first few words. I write unto you in chapter 2, verse 12. I write unto you who? Little children. Verse 13. I write unto you who? Fathers. Okay, I write unto you fathers again, he says. Oh, in the middle of verse 13. I write unto you who? Young men. So he's dealing with a variety of different aged believers. Okay? I think they're aged believers. It's not, not age physically. It seems to me it's aged, you know, aged spiritually. And he's writing to them. Now watch what he says to these people who they are being told you can't understand as much as I can. They're being told by this by the preacher. I'm the preacher. I understand the truth. 
you need to listen to me because I got a handle on the truth better than you ever will. Now, if I said that, do you want to throw a chair at me? Should you throw a chair at me? Yes, yes. Okay, so he's dealing with that. Watch how he encourages these people. He says in verse 20, but you, plural, you all have an anointing. It is the word anointing. It shows up only twice in Scripture. It shows up in verse 20 and verse 27. The word is charisma. It's not charisma like the gifts. It's charisma. Now, when it shows up in Scripture in another form, kreo, okay, in the, in the noun form, it always has reference to the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody, coming upon Jesus Christ. Uh, anointing him, Paul being anointed by the Spirit of God or the Spirit uh, coming upon him to help him. So if we keep a consistency in Scripture, it says we have an unction from the Holy One. By the way, Jesus Christ is called the Holy One in the book of Acts, Luke. Uh, we know God the Father is the Holy One. But if we follow through with Jesus Christ being the Holy One in the New Testament in particular, this fits John chapter 13, 14, 15 where Jesus Christ said, I must needs go that I may send you another comforter. That he sent the Holy Spirit who came upon how many people? All who were born again. So you have, all of you have the anointing from the Holy One, and as a result, you what? You understand or you know all things. doesn't mean you're, you're infinite. It means you have the ability to understand all the spiritual truths that I, as the false teacher, would be saying, you can't understand it. And he's saying, no, 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 that's not true. Brian, you can understand it because who is in you? The Holy Spirit who, by the way, who's the author of the word. The very author lives within you. You've been anointed by him. He goes on, he makes a little bit more comment about that. He says, down in, let's jump down into verse 27. This anointing which you have received of him... Is it only for a little while? What does it say in verse 27? How long do you have this anointing of the Spirit? He abides in you. The idea is he's still there. You received him a while ago, and he's still there. And how long is he going to stay with you guys? Forever. Okay, now watch. You've got the, you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and, he, and people are telling you you can't understand the truth. You need not that any man what? Okay, so you don't need a pastor. I will resign. Okay. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. But that's an initial reading. I have, an, I have a great aunt and uncle who were saved who told us that it's wrong to go to church. This is the passage that says you never, ever go to church. You don't listen to any preacher ever. And they use this verse. That's not what this verse says. Okay. Can Scripture contradict Scripture? No. Okay. Does the Holy Spirit give preachers as gifts to the church? Yes, he does. Ephesians chapter 4, 11. So if he gives us teachers, and if we are told that we should be following, you know, after the teachings of those that God has put in our life, then what does he mean by this? Well, in the context of what's happening here, you've got these people who are saying, you can't understand the scriptures at all. You can't even read your Bible. Only I can do the interpretation for you. And you don't even bother studying it. And he's saying, no, 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 no. That's not true. In that sense, you don't need him to teach you something profound and, and, and new. You've got the Word and you've got the Spirit. With the Word and the Spirit, 
You can know all truth. You can understand it. You, the Word of God is not hidden. Now, are there helps called pastor-teachers? Yes, but do you, must, you, must they and they alone tell you what the Bible says? No, you can study it for yourself. That's his point. They're, they can assist you, but you can study the Word of God. He goes on, this anointing which you have received of him abides, continues in you, and you don't need to have some man read the Bible and explain it to you. You can do it yourselves. But as the same anointing teaches you what? How many things of the Word of God? All things, and is truth, and this is no lie idea, even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. And so he's saying, you have all the ability from the power of God and the Spirit of God to understand God's word. Now watch, the, watch where he concludes this. He goes on in the next pair of sentences, says, and now little children, make sure you abide in him. Make sure you rely on this Holy Spirit. Why? That when he shall appear, we what? We have confidence and we're not ashamed before him at his coming. So the Holy Spirit's ministry is to reveal the things of God to us so as for us to live in such a way that when Jesus Christ comes back, we will hear those words that bring glory to us, quote-unquote. Well done, thou... Okay, so we've got all that laid out. Let me make some observations. That these are, these are critical observations, and I think one of them is the most profound truth that I could possibly share with you tonight. In the course of the New Testament, that is, as the New Testament went along, the Holy Spirit revealed to us God and all we need to know about Him. The Holy Spirit revealed to us God and all we need to know about Him via the Word of God. Should I say that again? As the, as the, in the course of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit revealed to us God and all we need to know about Him via the Word of God. So it's there. Everything we need to know is there. However, however, do I struggle with, should I take this job or that job? Should I buy this or buy that? Yes. Those things are still going to be a struggle. We wish that God would speak to us, you know, in the middle of the night and say, buy that one, you know, wear those clothes tomorrow. We wish that were the case. But he's given us all the principles we need to make good decisions, wise decisions, wisdom living. He's given it all. He's told us everything we need. The second comment, to know God better, we need to what? Study, study the Word. We need to study the Word. We don't need some mystical experience. We don't need some, some supernatural, dynamic pizzazz hitting us. We need to be in the Word of God. The revealed truth about God is in the revealed Word of God. So we need to understand the Word better. We need to study it better. The Holy Spirit enables all and each of us to understand the Word. The Holy Spirit enables all and each of us to understand the Word and glean what we need to know. I mean, as I just said, we have the author living in us. Let me go a little bit further. That enables, okay, uh, I'm sorry, no one is the line, no one of us has a greater working of the Spirit or a special standing with the Spirit than any other believer. I don't have more of the Holy Spirit than you do that gives me greater insight into the Word. You don't have more of the Spirit because He's helped you to all of a sudden. You just feel this sensing of the Spirit, and you just know better than anybody else the, the mind of God that is so phenomenal. 
This, the mystical idea that sometimes creeps into our Christianity, that's not what the scriptures are saying or drives to. The Spirit teaches us through the Word of God. He guides us through the Word of God. The Spirit teaches us in the Word of God. And so none of us has more of that Spirit that some claim that they have that enables some to claim to be super intelligent, super Christians, greater insights, the haves, and you and I are the have-nots. So no one of us has a greater working of the Spirit or a special standing of the Spirit than any other that enables some to claim to be super, super intelligent or spiritual. The difference, the difference in understanding the Word of God is due to a matter of what? It's not the Spirit of God. What's the difference in our understanding of Scripture? And by the way, let me, let me make, let, let's be honest about it. Some of us have a different understanding of Scripture than others. Okay, I don't mean this in a, in a pompous way. Please, I, I, I don't. Pro, for, compared to most younger Christians, I would hope at this point in my life I have a better understanding of Scripture and, and doctrine than somebody newly saved. Okay, why is that? Is that because I have more of the Holy Spirit than they do? Well, one is the experience in time. Okay. But the biggest factor is this how we apply ourselves to the study of the Word. That's the key, is how we personally apply ourselves. I mean, this is a truism. You and I who would say, I really want to apply myself to study and know the Word of God, we're going to know it. We're going to understand it. Better than somebody who says, well, I've got too many other things to do this day, but I'll just get, you know, take one verse and call the doctor in the morning. There is going to be a huge difference in understanding. And it's basically because of personal application or personally, how we personally apply ourselves to the word and to the study. Here's the big statement. You and I are never in closer communion with the Holy Spirit than when we let him minister to us as we study God's word. Let that sink down deep into your heart. You and I are probably never closer in communion with the Holy Spirit than when we let him minister to us. That is, that he leads us, that he communes with us, that he instructs us, that he comforts us. But if he does it through the revealed truth of God's word. So when we are studying the word of God, who is our personal tutor? According to this passage, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And how do I know how the Holy Spirit will guide me? <laughs> I won't know if I'm not in the Word of God on a regular basis. How can He lead me? I won't know if I'm not in the Word of God. It's the key is being in the Word of God where we are learning and letting the Spirit of God teach us. Okay, okay, let me throw this out. Have you ever read a passage and then you say this? And you, you know, you've been saved 15 years. You read a passage and you say, I never saw that before. And you go, am I dense? No, that's not necessarily the case. It's because that's what you need at this moment. And the Spirit is instructing you and guiding you in what you need now. Ten years ago, you could have been reading the same passage and a different, different thought struck you because that's what you needed then. Okay? And so it's the Spirit of God. Think about how intimate He is with His instruction. He meets your needs where you're at right now. Isn't that amazing? He takes the same word and he can apply it in different applications and not, not that they're wrong. 
You know, not that there's, there's, there, you know, stretch. He can take the same passage and apply it to so many of us in different, in different ways. And then he can take the same passage that I know that I've memorized and he can bring something out of it years later to minister to me in a very personal way. That's amazing how he designs his tutorial to me in my moment. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's make this comment. How can you and I then improve in letting the Holy Spirit teach us? What do we do? And that's the big question that we want to pick up next week. If this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word, to help me to understand God better, to reveal what I need to know, to grow, to become more like Christ, which is the goal, is it not? We are predestinated to be what? Don't tell me to be saved. I'll spiritually smack you. Okay, <laughs> don't say he predestinated us to get saved. He didn't. He predestinated us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, if that's the goal. He's predestinating me to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so every day as I get into the Word, He is dealing with me in some way, sense, or form. What can I do so I get more out of this? What do I do? I know what I need not to do. I need not to do what the Corinthians did. Did you, did you catch that back? And let's, let's close. One minute and I'll be done. Two minutes, I'll be done. If you don't go fast, it'll be three minutes. Okay, 1 Corinthians 2, watch this. At the end of this section in 1 Corinthians where we were, where the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the revealing the truth, watch something so simple that he brings out. He is ta talking to people that he says to these people uh, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, the natural man, verse 14, we read this in chapter 2, the natural man receives not the things of God, they are foolishness because they're spiritually discerned. Then he makes another comment. But he that is spiritual does what? He judges. Okay, he's going to compare. But who hath known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct? But we have the mind of Christ. But, but watch the next phrase. I, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual people. Why? You're carnal. Do you know what, what the word is? You're fleshly. You're fleshly. Even as what? You're babes. I have fed you with milk and not with... I know a couple things I need to do. I, I can't be fleshly. I can't be immature and want only pablum and only formula. I need to get into some study of the word, in-depth study. I know something else I don't want to do. You are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. It's not about me. It's not about my group. It's about you and me not being carnal, not walking as men, but realizing, hey, me, I need to have a spirit of harmony with others not disharmony. Oh, and you can keep on going with different things that are mentioned that are negatives here that would hold back, or in other words, could quench or grieve the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Next week, I want to build on that. I want to take some positive steps. How can you and I glean more from the Word of God as the Holy Spirit is going to teach us? What do we do? How do we do this? What steps can I take so I put myself in a convenient spot where He can better speak to me as He illumines me in the Word of God?